Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to hear from John chapter 20. Lord Jesus, as we hear your word now, we pray that you would open our eyes uh, to the hope that we have in the risen Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. The stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there. Jesus' body had been lying uh, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, women, women, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she said, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what uh, he had said to her. When it was evening of that first day of the week, The disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hand and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father had sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they forgive. They are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples were telling him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I do not see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This week I found myself really longing for a pre-coronavirus world, longing for the things that I took for granted just three months ago. And I know that you've probably had a similar experience, just wanting things to go back to the way that they were. But though we live in a pre-coronavirus world, I want to invite you to remember that we live in a post-resurrection world. That is to say, we live in a world where Jesus has risen from the dead. And in rising from the dead and coming out of that tomb, he has defeated sin and death and the devil. And nothing will ever be the same since that happened. In fact, the resurrection that we celebrated just one week ago, it, that is the greatest day in human history that happened 2,000 years ago. But here's the hard thing. I find that it's easier at times to celebrate Easter one day a year than it is to live out Easter 365 days a year. It's challenging to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus. And, and here's a couple reasons why. The, the first reason is, if we're honest, we have some doubts in our minds. I mean, we are logical, scientific people, and we wonder, is this resurrection, is this coming back to life from the dead, is it made up? And so we struggle with doubts, and that keeps us from living in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Another reason is just the brokenness of this world. We are living in a world right now that is full of pain and suffering. And sometimes that pain and that suffering clouds out the resurrection in our hearts and in our minds. And because of the pain and suffering in our world, it's, it's hard to even see the resurrection as a reference point for every day when we get up out of bed. But then thirdly, another reason is our own failures our own sins and failures and idols. During this season where you've had intense stress put on you, you're adjusting every day, uh, you are not living life anything like you were two months ago, I have no doubt that because of that stress, uh, your sin has come out in new ways. Your idols have creeped to the surface. You find yourself failing to love God and love neighbors in a way that you didn't know you could in the midst of the stress. You find yourself trying to escape, and, and in that escape, you find yourself doing things that are not pleasing to God. I have no doubt that during this time, you have experienced new types of failures in your relationship with God. But today, we come to John 20. We come to John 20, and in John 20, we see Jesus risen from the dead. And while he's risen from the dead, he encounters real people who have real failures, and they have real pain in their life, and they have real doubts. But they really do encounter the risen Lord Jesus and begin to learn how to live their life in light of him. Despite your failures and your doubts and the pain of this present moment, you too can learn to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus. 
in our story, Jesus has been in the tomb. It's Friday night. He's put in the tomb when he is buried. Saturday, it's a dark day. But Sunday morning, Mary goes to the tomb. She goes to weep over the tomb. And when she gets to the tomb, she finds that the stone is removed. She wonders what's happened. She assumes that someone has taken his body. So she goes to get Peter and John and says, they've taken our Lord. Well, Peter and John sprint to the tomb. And John mentions, uh, the author mentions that he outran Peter. It's kind of a funny fact. But John stoops down and looks in and sees an empty tomb. Then Peter comes and catches up. And just like Peter, uh, in his brashness, he bolts into the tomb and John follows. And there, they don't see the body of the Lord Jesus. Rather, they see the cloths that covered the Lord Jesus. And, And there to the side is the linen that went around his face nicely folded. Well, they're not sure what to make of it, so they they run back to the other disciples to tell them, and and Mary gets there, and when Mary's there, she stoops and looks into the tomb and and sees the same thing, and she begins to weep. Then she hears the voices of angels, two angels in the tomb, who ask her, why are you crying? Mary, why are you crying? Why, Why is she crying? Why is Mary crying? Well, Jesus is gone. The body of her Lord is gone. Mary had been possessed by seven demons when Jesus found her and cast out those seven demons to set her free. Then he had made her one of his disciples and she had become one of his most committed followers. She had been there at the cross when he was lifted up and and died. She had been there at the tomb when his wrapped body was laid to rest and the tomb covered, the stone covered over the tomb. She was there. She loved the Lord. And now she comes to the tomb, and his body is gone. Why is she crying? Because the body of her Lord is gone. And she stands there weeping. And it's been said by many that in the tears of Mary at that moment are all of our tears. The tears of loss. The tears of grief. The tears of brokenness. The tears of the pain of living in This world, can you relate to Mary's tears? Well, at that moment, Mary turns and sees someone else, and she doesn't recognize who it is. Maybe the sun was behind the person, and so she couldn't quite see, or maybe she didn't bother to look up fully. She just saw someone there. And the the person asked the same question that the angels did. Mary, why are you crying? She assumes that the person is the gardener, and she says, if if you've taken the body of my Lord, please tell me where it is so that I I can get him back. And then Mary hears the sweet sound of Jesus calling her name, Mary. And Mary looks up and realizes that it's Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, and says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she grabs hold of him. (laughs) She grabs hold of him. And there, there in that moment, Mary becomes the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. Even in in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her tears, she sees a real risen Lord Jesus. And then I, I love that as the first eyewitness, Jesus comes to her in the midst of tears. What does it mean for us? to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus in this painful, broken world. Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that 
the pain goes away. It doesn't mean that the tears stop. It doesn't mean that the world's no longer broken. But maybe it means this. Just as Mary saw Jesus in the midst of her tears, maybe that's what we're called to as well. In the midst of the real pain, to see that Jesus really has risen from the dead. In the midst of real brokenness, to see that he really has defeated the brokenness of death. And and that changes things. That, That changes things for us because it doesn't mean the pain goes away, but it means that we have hope in the midst of the pain. It doesn't mean that the tears stop, but we learn to set our eyes on Jesus through the tears. Paul would say this in 1 Thessalonians 4, that we grieve, but we grieve with hope. We don't grieve without hope, we grieve with hope, because Jesus has risen from the dead and begun a new creation among us. And even in the face of the darkest darkness, the most painful pain, the pain of death, we still have hope hope. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. And that doesn't mean we don't die. Everyone is going to die someday. And yet there is a sense that even through death, we see the victory of the Lord Jesus when we will be resurrected one day. At that point, Jesus says, Mary, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. She was evidently holding on to his cloak. And and what Jesus is saying is, I I know I'm here right now, but ultimately I'm going to ascend uh, to the right hand of God in power. And then one day he will return from that throne and rule and reign in our presence and all things will be made new. As the famous line from the Lord of the Rings, Samwise Gangi says, everything sad will come untrue. And living in light of the risen Lord Jesus is to see that, to see that reality, his victory over death, his risenness, his return to make all things new, even in this present broken, painful moment. That is what it looks like to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus in the midst of our pain. But what does it look like to live in light of him in the midst of our failure. Jesus says to Mary, uh, go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. We would expect Jesus to say, go to my disciples and prepare them for the rebuke that I'm going to give them. I mean, Jesus over and over had told them what was going to happen. He was going to die and then be raised from the dead. He was going to die and then be raised from the dead. He told them exactly what was going to happen. And then when it happened, they had no idea what was happening. They fled. They fled in fear. They doubted. They, even Peter, denied Jesus three times. This is their biggest failure as disciples. And yet Jesus doesn't tell Mary to go prepare them for a rebuke. Rather, He calls them brothers. Isn't that interesting? Right before Jesus had gone to the cross on the Last Supper, he had said, you are no longer my servants, you are my friends. And even after their greatest failure, he changes from friends to brothers. And he says that my father is your father, my God is your God. It is as if Jesus is more focused on what he has accomplished for them rather than their failure before him. 
In other words, what Jesus has done on the cross to secure humanity's relationship with God, to reconcile sinners to God through his shed blood, is what's in his view, not their failures. Their failures were real. And yet what's more important to Jesus in that moment is what he has done and accomplished on their behalf. Well, Mary goes and tells the disciples. And then a short time later, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in their midst. And his first words were not a rebuke, but were this. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Can you imagine the disciples who had seen Jesus' body put in the tomb or had heard about it from the others and were terrified and were fearful and didn't realize that Jesus was going to be risen from the dead? And then he shows up. He shows up. Can you imagine how the hearts were pounding and and the jaws had dropped and the eyes were wide open? And, And then to think, oh my goodness, I failed. I failed to believe. And yet Jesus walks in and says, peace be with you. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. of Jesus for his disciples. It is so beautiful, isn't it, that he is focused on what he has accomplished for them, bringing them peace with God through the cross rather than their failures before him. Jesus says this to them next, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As I've come to this world to represent the Father, now you represent me. How in the world are they going to do that when they're powerless and faithless and failures? Well, then he says this, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes onto them and and says, receive the Holy Spirit, representing the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost that we see in Acts chapter 2. And then this is amazing what he says. He says, if you forgive sins, they will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive sins, they will not be forgiven. In other words, he is so closely aligning his disciples with him that he says, you can represent me. If someone believes in me, you have the right to tell them that their sins are forgiven, which is incredibly ironic because they are in the midst of their biggest failure before Jesus, arguably their greatest sin to Jesus, and he gives them the authority to forgive sins in his name. How ironic it is that Jesus has spoken peace over them, that he has called them to be his representatives, that he has said, receive the Holy Spirit. He is calling them to be his presence on earth when they couldn't even have the courage to follow him to his death. What, What does it mean for us to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus as sinful people, as people who fail Jesus daily? Well, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you stop failing. You will continue to fail. And it also doesn't mean that your failures don't matter. They really do. Your failures have an effect. But it means, in light of the risen Lord Jesus, you are not marked by your failures. Rather, you are secured by Jesus' work for you. You will have many more failures, but Jesus has completed his work of redemption for you. 
See, living in light of the risen Lord Jesus in the midst of your failures means that you've learned to trust his words and his work. His words and his work. Peace be with you. You are sent. Receive the Holy Spirit. My God is your God. My Father is your Father. You learn to believe those realities that come from the mouth of Jesus even in the midst of your failures. And that leads you to the point of not hiding your failures, but bringing them to him. And the very Holy Spirit he gives to you will change you. That's what it means to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus in the midst of your failures. One of my favorite authors was a man named Jack Miller. He was a pastor and missionary, and he influenced many men who then influenced me. And Jack went to be with the Lord several decades ago. Um, But he commented on this passage, and he said this, The emphasis in this passage is on Jesus' strength and authority coming upon poor, stumbling humans so much like us. And then Jack tells a story to illustrate. He, He says that, he was in a taxi cab once, and he realized that the, the taxi cab driver was a first language, uh, had the first language of Spanish. And Jack spoke a little bit of Spanish, but mainly English. And Jack in the back seat was thinking, can I share the gospel with this man? Can I share the gospel with this man and share about what Jesus has done? And Jack prayed and said, you know, Holy Spirit, help me be a representative of Jesus. And then in Spanish, he began to share the gospel with this man. And it went pretty well until he got to the high point of the gospel presentation. And what he meant to say was, and Jesus has died for your sins. But what came out of his mouth in Spanish was, Jesus has died for your fish. Jesus has died for your fish. And as soon as he realized what had happened, I'm sure he felt like a complete failure. But the taxi driver in the front seat began to laugh hysterically and though Jack had botched that presentation of the gospel him and that man because of that failure God used it and they became friends you see see, God uses failures but the, the the impetus is on you to trust the words and work of Jesus in the midst of your sins in the midst of your failure and that's what actually gives you the power to repent and change and believe You believe what Jesus has accomplished for you. God loves to use unlikely people for his purposes. And we see that even in the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. The first person to visibly see uh, the risen Lord Jesus is Mary Magdalene, who clung to his robe. And in that day, a woman's testimony wouldn't hold up in a court. And yet God uses a woman as the first testimony to the risen Lord Jesus. Why, why would he do that? Why would he use someone whose testimony wasn't verifiable by the cultural standards of that day unless that's the way it really happened? Unless that's the way that it really happened. Uh, why would he use the disciples as the second witnesses? I mean, if you're trying to sell a product in our day and age, you want a confident, bold spokesperson. You want someone who can convince other people because they fully buy in and believe. And yet here we see Peter and John and the rest of the disciples stumbling to figure out what in the world is going on. Not really understanding it all. uh, Missing the things that Jesus had told them. But then coming to a place of belief. Why would God use those people 
as the second witnesses, the second eyewitnesses to the story, unless that's the way it really happened. And then we come to Thomas, doubting Thomas, as he's been called throughout church history, doubting Thomas who says, unless I can touch his hands and see the holes in them, unless I can touch his side, I, I, I won't believe. And, and there's something about Thomas that we say, well, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of, a lot of sense. But Thomas himself is, is not a great spokesperson because he himself struggled and doubted to believe. And yet here's what I love about Jesus. Here's what I love about the risen Lord Jesus. He comes to Thomas in his doubts. And in the midst of those doubts, Jesus is not insecure about Thomas's doubts. He's not struggling to understand why Thomas would doubt. Rather, he appears to Thomas, knowing his doubts, and comforts him and says, see the holes in my hands, touch them, see, see my side and touch it. Now, Thomas, believe. Don't be faithless, Thomas. Believe. What does it mean to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus in the midst of our very real doubts? Of our very real doubts. Well, it means, first of all, to see who Jesus is in the midst of our doubts. Our doubts don't, don't make Jesus insecure in this story. He's not surprised by them. In fact, he knows them. But also to recognize that Jesus has a heart to meet us in the midst of our doubts if we'll only open them up to him. Jesus calls Thomas to believe, and he will call us to believe in his resurrection as well. And when he shows himself to Thomas, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. But then I love what Jesus says back to Thomas. In verse 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. He's talking about you and me, you and me who have never seen the risen Lord Jesus physically. Uh, we struggle uh, to believe because we have not seen, but yet Jesus is saying that is a struggle. But yet, blessed are you who take the testimony of these eyewitnesses and believe. Blessed are you who do not see and yet believe. It's interesting that John, the author of this gospel, Jesus' beloved disciple, records that Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He hasn't really touched that issue since chapter 1. If you remember in the very beginning, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. But now here we are 20 chapters later, and he's finally come back around and said it, in, in quoting Thomas, an eyewitness, who says, my Lord and my God. And the reason that John is bringing that back up and recording that part of the story for us is because he wants you to believe it as well. He wants you to see that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. And he wants you to live in light of the risen Lord Jesus as well. In verse 30, knowing that we have not ever seen Jesus physically, the risen Lord Jesus physically, John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John knows that you and I have not seen, but he wants to say this to us. I have seen. I was there. I was an eyewitness. In fact, if you read back through the story, it says that John didn't believe until he saw 
the, the clothes in the tomb, but no body. John says, listen, I can't show you Jesus. I can't physically make him appear. But I can tell you I saw him and I wrote it down here because I want you to trust my testimony and I want you to believe and I want you to live your life in light of the risen Lord Jesus and have life in his name. Remind yourself of these things today. There was a pastor many years ago whose name was R.W. Dale, and he was a good pastor. He was well-respected in his church and well-respected by other churches. And as he began to prepare for his Easter sermon one year, he realized that he believed that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, but it hadn't quite captured his heart. It hadn't quite captured his imagination. He wasn't fully living in light of the risen Lord Jesus. He, he would write in his journal about that season of preparation for the Easter sermon, that it grasped him in a new way. He wrote, Christ is alive, I said to myself. Alive, and then I paused. Alive, and then I paused again. Alive! Can it really be true, living as really as I myself am? I got up, and I walked about repeating, Christ is living, Christ is living. It was to me a new discovery, he wrote. I thought that all along I had believed it, but not until that moment did I feel sure about it. I then said, my people shall know it. I shall preach about it again and again until they believe it as I do now. That dramatically shifted his life and ministry, and it changed what happened every Sunday morning in his church Every Sunday morning at his church after that Easter, they began to sing an Easter resurrection song to grasp the fact that Jesus really was alive. See, in the, in the midst of your pain, Jesus is risen from the dead. In the midst of your failure, Christ really has defeated sin and death and the devil. Even in your weak faith, the Lord Jesus is living. He's alive. Christ is alive. Remember these things. Believe these things. Let the risen Lord Jesus and his resurrection sink deeper into your heart. Sing the songs of Easter, not just one day a year, but 365 days a year. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. We ask that you would... Uh, Help us to grasp these things and live in light of you as the risen one. We ask for anyone here who's tuned in and is wrestling with the Christian faith, Lord, that you might enlighten them, that you might prompt them to even reach out to us so that we can walk through the journey of faith with them. And for those that are struggling to believe because of their failures or, or their doubts or the pain of this moment, Lord, encourage them with your resurrection now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.